Letting Go by Simon Gurrier. I made the doctor go to see them, and it's good that we did, but I didn't understand. I've been travelling with the doctor for a few weeks, not long enough to take it for granted. I mean, we were on another planet, in this city of flying cars and creatures, but long enough to know that I'd fallen in love with the doctor, and that he... Well, that was a long time ago, when I was with that doctor, my first one, all floppy hair and cheekbones, with the breathless passion of the poet Shelley. I was smitten with him, or who wouldn't be? But it wasn't all wonder and gazing into one another's eyes. I'd made the doctor bring us to the planet of flying cars and creatures because of my promise to Stan. Stan was an antle. That's a genus, not a species. He'd grown up in one of the mile-high dormitories tapering into the sky. Beautiful, spindly designs like that church in Barcelona. But Stan said he hated the place, spent his whole time growing up wanting to get away, to explore the inner planets, even meet some real humans. People in his class weren't meant to believe in humans. He'd laughed as he told me that, flapping the tendrils round his mouth. Then he reached out to take my hand. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me, he said, which is a pretty good line for a girl to hear. Later, much later, after he was... He reached for my hand once more. His skin was all shriveled and black from the fire. You saved us, I told him. You saved everyone on the ship. He struggled to speak, his face contorting at the effort just to form a few words. Tell my mother, he said. Tell my mother I was wrong. This is a bad idea, said the doctor. We were outside apartment 9-4, on floor 782 of dormitory 11-B-6, on quadrant 4-4 Placid, of the planet of flying cars and creatures. The planet had a name as well, but I don't remember it. I promised, I told him, and it's a good thing we're here. He gazed down at me with those incredible eyes. I grinned back at him, not letting him dissuade me. All right, said the doctor softly. All right. For a moment, they stared in wonder at the two creatures on their doorstep. The doctor opened his mouth as wide as he could and let out a long sigh, just as Stan had showed us. Stan's family stared in amazement and awe. But they were polite, well-brought-up people. Their mouths dropped open and they sighed back at the doctor. Thank you, he said. Hello, I'm the doctor. This is my best friend, Charlie. We were friends with Stan, I explained. The tallest of the antles stepped slowly forward to inspect us. The skin round her eyes flushed blue with suspicion as she scrutinised my mouth and jaw. Mouths matter to the antle. Suddenly she lashed out. I stumbled back, knowing I'd never escape. I could see the doctor rushing to help me, knowing he was too late. The look on his face. But the antle woman gathered me up in her long and fibrous arms. I couldn't cry out. I couldn't breathe. She trembled and wept as she hugged me. Behind her, I heard the other, smaller antle conferring. 
Then one of them turned to the doctor. Stan's friends who are also humans, said the Antle. You are welcome in our home. The whole sprawling family shared just two average-sized rooms. Stan had been so well-spoken, I'd never guessed he was poor. Or maybe the Antle chose to live like that, cooped up and cosy, more a nest than an apartment. They couldn't have made us more welcome. They took our coats, and the doctor and I were made to sit at a long table, which I think also doubled as a bed. The antle rushed round us, setting places, putting snacks in small bowls, bringing vials of sweet and syrupy drink. From the other room came the spicy whiff of cooking. We were in time for their main meal of the day. The doctor sat serene and still amid the turmoil. The strange smile on his face, the distant, sad look in his eyes. This ordinary chaos of family life was more alien to him than anything he'd experienced on his travels. I could see it in the antle's twitching faces, the need to ask us about Stan. How well we had known him, had the newspapers told the truth about how he died. I wanted to tell them, to spare their having to wait and wonder, to fulfil my promise. And get it over with, I suppose. But they also didn't want to hear it. Hence the meal and hospitality, the good-natured mayhem, as if these ordinary things could put off the moment that Stan really died. Vinks, Stan's mother, bustled out of the kitchen, apologised again for the mess, and slapped the smallest antle's hand as he reached for the bowl of snacks. We have guests, she chided, embarrassed by her son, and also that she'd wept at me before. The smallest antle picked up the snack bowl and carefully offered them to me, as if that had always been his intention. Thank you, I said, and took one of the crispy orange snacks. Then I turned to the doctor. You can eat the food, he said. The drink will make you giggly. I drank the drink. It made me giggly. The antle thought that was brilliant. They got me more giggly drink and brought out the meal. A roasted root and something like crab. The family barely fitted round the table even without two guests. We jostled with each other's elbows as we tucked into the feast. No one spoke at first, too busy with the food, and the shadow cast by Stan. Then one of the younger antle, Glean, reached for more crab meat and managed to knock his glass of giggly drink onto his brother's lap. There were screams and jeering and laughter as the soaked antle ran into the kitchen. Then things were easier. They bickered and told stories and interrogated me, the doctor sat silently, smiling, as I endeavoured to answer their questions. Did it hurt? asked the smallest antle, only having two legs. They all had hysterics when I asked if the smallest antle had a name. Again, the doctor didn't help me, left me to fend for myself. Glean started to explain to me about the legal status of their different larval stages. Vinks reminded him sternly that it was not a suitable topic for the dinner table. When we'd eaten, the younger antle cleared away the things, and Vinks handed round shallow bowls of stone. I followed the doctor's lead, holding my fingers over the bowl as Vinks poured on cool and cloudy water. We washed our fingers, then drank the water. It was bitter and salty, but good. Then the meal was over, and there was nowhere else to hide. The family settled into uneasy silence. I turned to the doctor. He'd been calm and quiet all through the meal, quite unlike him at the best of times, preparing himself for the ordeal that now awaited. He sat forward. 
There wasn't a fault with the beam drive on the ship, he said. The Antle watched him in silence. Vink slowly nodded her head. We know. The more they need to tell us that, the more it isn't true. So, the ship was attacked. The doctor held her gaze. It was an accident, he said softly. A stupid accident. You crashed into them, said Vinks. Not us, said the doctor. We got there after the crash, tried to help. The humans didn't know what a warp engine would do in the vicinity of your beam drives. Vinks considered this. But humans, she said, humans killed my son. Stan did what I asked him, said the doctor. That's why he died. So I'm the one who killed your son. Vinks nodded. Your skin may not turn blue, she said, but I could see it in your eyes. He saved people's lives, I insisted. Stan saved the ship and all the other people aboard it, including me and the doctor. You mean he was a hero? snorted Glean. But Stan was scared of his own tendrils. Glean, muttered Vinks. He was very scared, agreed the doctor, and at the end he was in a lot of pain. Vink shivered at the thought of it. He still did what he did to save us, I told her. That's why he was a hero. She looked at me with such torment in her eyes. But he died in pain. The smallest antle twisted round in Vink's arms to face her. If they killed Stan, he asked, do we have to kill them back? The tendrils round Vink's mouth quivered. You should know better than that, she told him. She let out a sigh. This is what he was running away from. Hated being cooped up in here and on this tiny planet. Said we were too parochial, hiding away from the rest of the galaxy, using beam drives to run from the humans. We should get out there, Mon, he'd say. Meet them and talk to them and swap ideas. It'd do us all good. He was right, said the doctor. Maybe, said Vinks. We let that hang in silence for a moment. It felt like my insides were full of broken glass. I wanted to say something, to offer some comfort. I tried to stop him, Vinks went on. He said I got anxious if one of his siblings just went to the end of the street, that I couldn't hold on to him forever, that he was choking in my arms. She tailed off, squeezing the smallest antle tight to her chest. He squirmed but couldn't get free. The other antle closed around their mother, embracing her as the tears came. He told me, she said, the last thing he said to me, she said, the thing that keeps churning through my brain. He said he never wanted to come back. I reached out my hand to her, but she snatched her arm away. But that's why we're here, I told her. I made him a promise. He wanted me to tell you he was wrong. Vinks held her family tight around her. Then she decided we all needed tea, or whatever hot drink the ant will drink, and bustled through to the kitchen. The doctor gave me a meaningful look and got up from the table. He never likes to hang around anywhere, preferring to slip away with a minimum of fuss. I'd not been travelling with him long, but that attitude really annoyed me. If nothing else, it was rude. But the ant seemed almost grateful that we were going, disquieted by having humans in their home and the effect we'd had on their mother. Glean hurried to get our coats. The children, some of them ten feet tall, were all awkward, not knowing what to say. The smallest antle called through to Vinks that we were leaving, but she didn't respond. I'm sorry, I told Glean as he helped me into my coat. 
Come on, the doctor told me. We've taken up too much of these people's time. But as we stepped out through the door, Vinks came running after us, a page of old newspaper flapping in her hand. For a moment, I thought it was the account of her son's death. But instead, a crude image had been daubed in paint across the yellowed newsprint. A child's picture of a smiling face, eyes and mouth but no nose, and the hair floating high above the scalp. A crude image of a face, a human face, not Antl. Did it before he even chose his name, Vinks explained. I want you to have it. Thank you, said the doctor. But we can't, I said, holding the delicate scrap of paper, feeling the weight of all it meant. You should keep this, Vinks sniffed, her tendrils flapping. Take it with you, wherever you're going out there. She gestured with one long and fibrous arm at the sky in general. I promised her, just as I'd promised her son. Then she scooped me up in those powerful arms and squeezed me until I nearly fainted. You didn't have to come here, she said. I should be glad that you did. It can't have been easy. No, I heard the doctor say. No, it never is. The suns were setting as we made our way back across the city of flying cars and creatures. It started to rain, but we didn't mind getting soaked through. The air was warm and summery. Tears tracked down my face. The doctor held my hand as we followed the pinkish river back to where the TARDIS waited. As he fussed in his pockets for the key, I looked back the way we'd come. The dormitories reached up high around us, streams of traffic racing in between them. A glorious rainbow arced across the sky. Through the faint and greenish clouds peeked a scattering of stars. The whole world was going to change. According to the story, humans had helped the Antle's spaceship when its beam drive had backfired. They had saved the lives of all but one of the crew. And now humans and Antle would forge a new future together as friends. But really, Stan had saved the Antle from the humans being clumsy. The Doctor had said that for the sake of the future, no one could ever know. But I'd made a promise. And anyway, wasn't it the right thing to do? Okay, asked the Doctor as he set the controls. Okay, I said as firmly as I could. Thank you. We've put Stan to rest now. They can move on and so can we. The doctor held my gaze, such sorrow in his eyes. What? I said. He shrugged. It's done now, he said. Then he pulled back on the handbrake and we were off again to some other place and time. Stan's picture safely in my pocket. I've seen lots of people die. All those aboard the R101, and then the people on the Vanguard. All those histories we overwrote, lives never even lived. You never get used to it. The thought of those we've met and seen die still scrambles my insides. I remember their faces and sometimes their names. But I have to try to remember. Then there are the faces that come back unbidden, in the middle of the night. 
Vinks and Glean, and the smallest Antle who didn't yet have a name. The kindness they showed us despite all they'd lost. Their gratitude and grief. They're the ones who haunt me. I made the doctor go to see them. And it's good that we did. But now I understand. <laughs>